Hey, listener, Zach Harper here. Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Also, fastest growing fantasy app in the industry. Here's how it works. The Pick'em Game. Pick whether your favorite players will have a higher or lower stat total in this week's game for a chance to win big. How big, you ask? I'm so glad you asked that question, listener. You can win up to 100 times your money in a single night. Pick between two and five players. Build a pick'em entry. You can also do rivals picks. You can put like Tyrese Halliburton and Jalen Brunson against each other. And whoever has more points, more assists, more rebounds, whatever you want to do, that is your rivals pick. I would maybe go with Jalen Brunson in these playoffs. By the way, in the regular season, Jalen Brunson, scoring tear, going higher on his point totals all the time. Joel Embiid, whenever he did actually play, higher on his scoring totals all the time. Victor Wembanyama for the next 15, 20 years, here's a pro tip for you. Take higher on the blocks. That's right. So you're probably wondering, how do you sign up? Oh my God, listener, you are full of good questions today. Sign up with the promo code DING, that's D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick First time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. $250, man, that's a lot. Visit underdogfantasy.com or find them in the app store. And don't forget to register with our code DING, D-I-N-G, to claim your special pick and first time deposit offer up to $250 in bonus cash. Must be 18 or older, 21 or older in Massachusetts, Arizona, 19 or older in Alabama and Nebraska, and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply. Concerned with your play? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.ncpgambling.org. Arizona, 1-800-NEXT-STEP. That's 1-800-639-8783. Or text next step. To 53342. New York, call the 24 7 Hope Line at 1 877 8 Hope and Y or text Hope and Y 467369. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6 1 since that matters and what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, children and babies, to the latest edition of The Woke Bros. I'm, of course, your co-host, the Haitian sensation, the big problematic Big Waz, as always, <laughs> as always, my partner in crime, Michael Shabazz, Muhammad Brooks, Jamal, <laughs> Jamal Aziz, X Brooks, Shabazz. also online. And today we have a very special guest. I'm really excited about this, man. We got Alex Spiro. I got that right. I made sure to ask Jennifer first, Alex, so I wasn't uh, butchering your last name. We got Alex Spiro on the line, man. Celebrity attorney, uh, you know, attorney to the stars, whatever whatever moniker you want to use. What do you go by, Alex? Uh, Alex is fine. <laughs> I thought you were. I thought he was going to say. I thought he was. was he was going to be like uh, stars and athletes. My basketball coach used to call me hey, Spiro when he was mad at me. When I, when I would blow an assignment on defense, it was Spiro, Spiro. So, oh, wow. So so he would condescendingly mispronounce your, your last name. So. You'd have to ask him, but I, I think so. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, just just a quick background for people who don't know. You've, you've represented many prominent people from people like J.R. Smith to Bobby Schmurter to... Uh, I think you represented Mick Jagger uh, at one point. Am, 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 I, am I making that up or am I misremembering? Those, those are all people I've represented. 
So you've represented, again, people people who are in the public eye. So whenever they get in, quote unquote, trouble or find themselves on the wrong side of the law, like oftentimes your phone will ring and you're connected in all of these circles. But, you know, last time I spoke to you and um, and Brian Windhorse, a, a, a mutual friend of ours, a good friend of mine, he, he mentioned that you're a Harvard guy. And you could have, you know, went to any white shoe law firm that you wanted to, done corporate law, done whatever type of law you you wanted to practice. But you voluntarily, you know, you decided to go into criminal law defense. And and that's unusual for people with your background. Can you speak to why you wanted to do that just in the first place? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I think, and I've said this before, that that people make mistakes and people are more than the bad things that they've done or the mistakes that they've made. I, uh, you know, have been fortunate enough to uh, be taught by the right people and mentored by the right people. But my adolescence and my young adulthood and my everything isn't isn't perfect. And I know that it's the same for others. And um, I just think it's important to protect people and to tell people's story. Um, and I wanted to do something that was public interest oriented. And it, it kind of just happened that way. So here on the show, we like basically what we try to get into our community affairs, whether it be political or whatever, and we want to get into cultural stuff, too. And this is kind of an intersection of both. Right. Because when it comes to stuff uh, and what I wanted to talk to you anyway, when it comes to Bobby Schmurda's case, uh, when it comes to the rapper Takashi 69, who who we'll get into also. I feel like, yeah, Schmurda had number one records. He's a very popular, uh, prominent, fi- he was a very prominent figure. But his case spoke to police overreach, in my opinion, which I think is, you know, is a community issue as far as somebody, for me, as, as far as a black man is concerned, right? Um, and so that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, this kid, you know... <laughs> He becomes a really famous rapper. The police round up a bunch of the people that he's friends with, a bunch of the people that he's around, and they smack him with racketeering charges, right, which traditionally they use for mobsters, mafia people. Now they're using them for rappers. Why does that strike you as odd? Well, I think the first question is, what, what do we see the role of the police to be? And if you see them as people that should be in the community helping, then I think that the threshold question, which we don't ask enough, is, if you do have a community like Brownsville or, or any poor community, any inner city community, should we be waiting for teenagers to make mistakes and then making their mistakes as, as augmented and audacious as we can craft them and slamming them with draconian prison sentences and backwards legal protections? Or should we be going in proactively and trying to help uh, these kids and, and help mentor them and guide them. Many of them don't have fathers. Many of them don't have a chance. And, you know, at, at, at a threshold, and again, this is, this is how I got into this line of work in the first place, I think we should be doing, we should be doing more proactive things to protect them from themselves because they grow up, and I'm speaking generally, but they don't necessarily have a father or an older brother, so they have to stick with their friends, and th- their friends help watch over them when maybe the police should be watching over them. And it it leads to this self-propelling cycle where then they're connected with their friends like they're one unit, even though there's there's nothing about that unit that's any that's a gang or a mafia. It's just a unit. Michael, you wanted to get in. Yeah, let me. I I think that that speaks exactly to where I'm trying to get at with my question, which is that cases like the Bobby Schmurda case 
potentially Takashi, uh, and a lot of um, uh, cases and clients that you've taken on and dealt with, they obviously, in some ways, these people, because they might be celebrities, they have some access to resources and money because of their you know, talent as performers or athletes, they have some access. But a lot of the things that you're talking about are emblematic, and I think you use the phrase like paramilitary approach that the police actually take certain communities. And I was thinking on a on a much more sort of you know grassroots level. I was talking with an attorney one time who works with uh, juveniles, and he was saying, you know, like I'm trying to explain to these kids that if they're like lip syncing to Cardi B on Snapchat or Instagram and they throw up a blood sign that could be used against them in an incredibly serious and, you know, totally dishonest way. Cause these are just kids and, you know, kids in the, like kids in the suburbs might do the same thing uh, and, and, and get, you know, no, no consequences whatsoever. So I'm saying what way in which do these like celebrity cases actually illustrate the bigger issues you're talking about with, race, with policing, and then also the broader public attitudes towards basically, I guess, just younger black people who have some money. Yeah. So, I mean, I can't take on every case and I, yeah, wish, of course, I, could, of I wish I could help every person that called and every person that needed help. I genuinely, you know, stay up every night answering phone calls of people that I know I'll never end up representing to try to at least help them through their tougher times. But these cases... And some of the reason why I, I take on the ones that I do, I think, speak to a bigger issue and can highlight a bigger issue because all of a sudden you can bring more resources to bear than another kid without the resources could in the same situation. And you have the media attention uh, that highlights some of these issues and bring them brings them to light. And it allows people to ask these questions, to ask what really is a conspiracy? What is freedom of speech and speaking about your community without um, you know, being accused of propelling your community. Um, what kind of prison sentences should people have? Should people not get bail because they don't have fathers when they might not have fathers because their fathers didn't get bail in the first place? And if you, if you, if you fight these battles in courts, uh, the truth often can come out, or at least the issues can be further highlighted. And I think that's an important part of, of or I like to think it is, of what I do. I'm glad you brought up the conspiracy element of this, uh, when 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 the DA or the prosecutor brings a charge of conspiracy to a guy, and I know you're biased because you're a defense attorney, but like, is that threshold high enough here? Right? Well, like, is it too easy to make that case that somebody's conspiring with someone because they know them essentially? <laughs> so it's 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 a it's a very fair question, and you know, remember, I don't know how biased I am, right? I I, I was a prosecutor. Um, I prosecuted very serious cases, and um, I, I like to think that, but easy for me to say, that my perspective is somewhere in the middle. But the bottom line is the law on conspiracy, the law is very pro-prosecution. It allows a person to be accused of conspiring with another after entering an agreement, okay? And the agreement can be loose. It can be we're, we're, you know, three, three white kids in the suburbs, as, as you all were saying, you know, could conspire to not like the neighboring town. That could be the conspiracy, right? And then one of the kids in the group could take an overt act, any overt act, 
in furtherance of that conspiracy. And they could just say, oh, I see this guy at All Night Burger King. I'm going to go push him. Now there's been a violent overt act. Now they're in a conspiracy to commit violence, just like that. And what we, what we need prosecutors to do is to use their discretion, use their discretion in who is part of the group because they just grew up on the same floor and they uh, have a survival instinct and they haven't had a chance to get out and they need our help and they need our understanding and who is truly conspiring to meet some horrible, horrible end that harms our community. And, and we're not drawing that line the right way. I want to ask about uh, Takashi Six Nine because it, you know, it, it's emblematic of the things we're talking about. And, you know, these stories pop up in the news cycle, and obviously they're really big in kind of like the TMZ and also hip hop gossip world. They sort of hit a broader media, and people, you know, there's plenty of lyrics to pick over that a lot of people will find offensive. In Takashi's case, his whole, you know, his self-representation and the dyed hair and this and that. If you could just, though, on the other hand, like, my bias is always, what the fuck do I know? Excuse my language. But it's like, I don't really typically think of people who are actually seriously involved in actual criminal activity as also being like, you know, like, like on El the Chapo gram wasn't, yeah, El Chapo <laughs> wasn't like, you know, crooning Mexican ballots about uh, Sinaloa and, you know, and Pablo Escobar wasn't uh, writing like telenovelas about his exploits. So, you know, you could find it offensive or not. It doesn't mean anybody's a saint or not a saint, but my bias would be, yeah, if you're an entertainer, you're probably not a criminal mastermind. That being said, when we look at the way Takashi is both in terms of the New York police's relationship with rappers and then the kind of broader media response. Are you seeing like, we haven't moved at all from where we were at with Bobby Smurda, like the kind of same patterns in play? Um, certainly the patterns have not changed completely. I think when you push back against the battleship that is our system, every time you push back and, and, and fight the right way, you do create some benefits. But of course, it hasn't changed. And we're in the middle of a civil rights movement and a criminal justice reform movement that one day we will look back upon, and I hope as a society be thankful that we all participated in. But to answer your question directly, I mean, first of all, an artist or an entertainer by, by definition is trying to be entertaining and artistic. And in terms of entertaining, if you're, if you're too mellow, and you're not uh, uh, energized enough, and you're not doing things that are cutting edge, um, you're, you're not going to be particularly entertaining. And so uh, everything you do has to be done with a certain amount of emphasis and exaggeration that may, may not be consistent with what you actually think or what you privately would say to somebody in your inner circle. And then in terms of the artistic, it's exactly that, right? Ever since the beginning of art and society, one would imagine that people painted the pictures that they knew and they described the communities they grew up in. And, and oftentimes what makes these artists so authentic and what makes them so popular is because they're telling their truth, their true story. And so by telling it and living in it, it doesn't necessarily make them part of it. And I think trying to extricate somebody from that reality is a confusing and complicated exercise.
you was in there. You had people with you. Is is what we're hearing about that night and the and the artillery and guns and things they found. Is that true? Um, nah. What they hearing about that night? Shit is not true. So the cops, the cops been out for me for forever, man. They've been trying to slay me for forever, but they never catch me with nothing. They, 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 they might, it might be, it might be like four or five cops that that that, that night that had, had just grabbed me up. They told me that yo, I don't want my kids listening to your music. This and that. It's just, it's... Hello. Disconnected? No. Oh. That really, that really just happened? Yeah, they can disconnect the line. So, Alex, Mike lightly touched on it, and I want to delve into it a little bit deeper. Uh, I don't know how much rap you uh, listen to, but I listen to a lot, and I've been listening since probably like 1994. And, and we, we like, why isn't I like violent uh, yeah, uh, rap I, about selling drugs, about killing people? Yeah, we like, we don't disclosure. like any white rap. We like full up disclosure. Rap. Full disclosure. <laughs> it's not guns and cocaine and yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, promiscuous women in the raps. I'm not right. probably not going to be entertained by it. Uh, no. But no, the, the theme of the hip hop police, so to speak, has been a constant one in rap since I can remember, right? Some people say it's conspiratorial, some people, whatever. But I've known people who work in and around music, particularly in New York, and other people who aren't from New York. They have problems. They don't like coming. Other artists don't like coming to New York because they know the their visibility puts them, you know, in the crosshairs of the New York City Police Department. And I don't know how much you can speak to this. Like, what do you know about a quote unquote hip hop unit within the NYPD? Well, I, I can't speak to like today exactly how it operates. I mean, I was a Manhattan prosecutor. I'm not saying state secrets, but <laughs> there were certainly units that were focused on, whether in name or in symbol, on nightlife, on, on you know, pop-up rap concerts and rap battles and things along those lines. And so I think more to the point, though, is really that it's, really that it's a self-propelling uh, 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 prophecy, right? Because uh, they, they um, become more aggressive in their tactics, and so the rap musics become bolder. And then the music gets bolder and they become more reactive to it. And, you know, it's always struck me that um, the cops, at least, that would police a place like Brownsville, um, they don't live in Brownsville, right, by and large. So what do they know about the ways that they need to interact socially, IQ, EQ, with the folks in Brownsville? And the more that the divide is, 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 it grows and becomes more entrenched, the more impossible it is for people from a different community to be policing uh, uh, people that they don't know or understand. And it come is- on, come on, Alex. You can't be that naive. You know human empathy isn't good for Comstat. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> There's no EQ in statistics. There's no EQ in... Uh... Quant-driven policing, right? So what, right. Yeah. Why would you want the people policing the community to have a sense of, for lack of a better word, community with the people, right? A uh, 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 a sense of 
who these people are, their customs, their mores, their culture, like why they do the things that they do. Why would you want that if all you want is numbers and you want those numbers to be as high as possible? That, you know, those two things don't seem to jibe with me, right? Uh, I can remember, because I'm from Queens, uh, buying a, a 40 ounce of beer. I was probably like 17 years old, right? <laughs> I bought I bought a 40 ounce of beer from the store. The cops stopped me. They just gave me a ticket. They didn't bother me. <laughs> they didn't go crazy. They took the beer away. They said, "Here's a ticket. Get out of here, kid." And so, yeah, I I think you you know you 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 hit a chord right there with the community policing, and you know, why it is that the NYPD has it so that uh, a guy the, a guy who's not from the pink houses in East New York can go into a building and be so damn scared that he's shooting up a hallway, right? Full of people probably just sitting around smoking weed. Like, I don't know what the NYPD's response would be to that, but I would imagine it's just that, well, we're just going to put cops where we can. Well, I think part of their response would be that they're going to put police in places that there is a high incident of criminal activity. But of course, some of those places that have a high incidence of criminal activity are only places with higher incidence than, than others because there's so many police there and so there's so many people getting arrested all the time. It's like the statistics and anecdotes regarding that the use of drugs and recreational weed is higher amongst white teenagers than black teenagers uh, uh, proves the point, despite the disparity in consequent arrests. So it, it, it's not that I that that anyone, or at least I'm saying that anyone's acting in bad faith. But I think if we're driven too much by statistics and we're driven too much by reactivity, we're not going to ever solve the problem that has existed with with some of these tensions for a very very long time in this country. That's yeah. That, that, that's 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 basically. Uh, you know, <laughs> anecdotally, you see it all the time, right? Like, you know, I, I went to college. I went to a high. I went to most colleges that aren't HBCU, which is historically black colleges and universities, are predominantly white, right? Like, no matter what, if you don't go to an HBCU, you're going to be around white people. Uh, I went to St. Francis Prep in Queens. That happens to be a predominantly white high school. So, you know, you hang around enough white people, you realize, like, there's not really much of a difference going on there, right? And um, the statistics in marijuana arrest or all kinds of drug use arrests don't really really reflect the reality that I've encountered out in the world. And as you said, there's a, you know, there's a great movement to balance these disparities and arrest rates and how often people get incarcerated and things like that. But obviously I think we've got a long way to go and I'm appreciative for people like you who, you know, are really great at what you do and you see a need somewhere as far as like police overreach and um, maybe punishments that are a lot too draconian for the crime and and I'm I'm very appreciative for what you you and your firm are doing out there. Well listen, I th thank you for saying that there's obviously people uh far more altruistic and and organizations that um that spend every waking moment um fighting for those with less means and less resources and those people deserve more credit than anybody. Um, you know, I handle, you know, big corporation disputes and these cases, and I try to remind myself to not to not leave doing these cases entirely because I, I, 
I do think that it's important. And, um, you know, I appreciate you saying that. I, I do. And because I'm such a, uh, a such a huge Bobby Schmurter fan, I do want to end end our conversation off with a few more Schmurter questions. Are you still in contact with him at all uh, as he's serving out his sentence? Uh, I, I, the, I don't want to reveal any communications because, you know, those are those are and have been privileged. But, um, you know, suffice it to say, I'm still supporting him and okay. I, I um, am rooting for him and um, I'm thankful that he's going to be home very soon. When 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 do do we know exactly when he's getting out of there? I don't know his release date, but uh, it's, it's it's in relatively, especially when you look at yeah. what some of his co-defendants are serving in the very very near term, in which he'll be able to have decades and decades and generations um, away from the prison and away from the system. And we want to end it off on a on a more lighter note. We know that you're a big hoops fan. Uh, you follow you follow the NBA and basketball just in general incessantly. Um, are you a are you a scarred Knicks fan, or are you just a general NBA basketball and just a fan of excellence on the court? Because you know you can't be a fan of both, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, my prediction is, of course, a Sixers Celtics Eastern Conference Finals. So I'll okay, <laughs> my, I'll give you my prediction. Um, you know, I have I have friends with the the Knicks. The the Knicks captain Lance Thomas is a class act, um, and you know they're 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 going to come through this, and it's cyclical. But uh, uh, the Nets are also great. So I got two teams here in New York. Big fan of the Nets, and uh, you know I go to games whenever I can. Since um, we're doing. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to actually ask, speaking of the Knicks, and, and since you brought it up, Alex, um, Charles Oakley, you represented him also, right? I did. During his MSG issue. What was what was that like? I mean, that was kind of like a, a strange issue for him, wasn't it? What, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, I know a lot of people saw what happened, but it was kind of, uh, it was kind of dicey, I guess, um, especially with his relationship with the team that he once called home for so long. It, it's, it's a tough situation. He is many people think sort of the lifeblood of the spirit of New York. And uh, he's a friend and client. And um, I think it was very hard for people to see what was a miscommunication or misunderstanding of a very small nature escalate into that sort of a um, visible uh, issue. And, uh, you know, that's long behind him. And, you know, even something like that and our reactions to it, there are lessons and and, and sort of moments in that that I think are even important. Well, there you have it. Uh, I just want to thank, again, I want to thank you again, Alex, for coming on, man. Uh, I know our listeners will be very uh, satisfied with the type of information and knowledge that you're able to bring. Because like I said, we sit at the cross-section of culture and I guess politics and community affairs here on this show. And um, again, those two cases specifically touch on the head of both because unlike like Taylor Swift <laughs> is never going to have to deal with the hip hop police. Right. Uh, these issues are unique to the culture of hip hop, the music of rap. And uh, you're right there square in the middle of it, in the trenches of it. And so I'm so happy that you were able to come on today. Uh, usually we have um, other broadcasters, artists, whatever on the show and ask them to plug stuff. Do you have anything to plug? <laughs> 
I should have prepared my plug. <laughs> uh, no, but say hi to our say hi to our friends in the in the league for me, and uh, hope to talk to you guys soon. All right, thank you so much again, Alex. All right, take care, everybody. Awesome. All right, thanks, Alex. Thank you.